Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the Democrat Party's battle for mission and identity. Just ask Nancy Pelosi. The American response to China's world domination project. If you listen to mainstream media, you wouldn't know there was one. And last, Christian colleges against Christianity. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Georgiatis, well, Nancy Pelosi's having a hard time trying to convince the public and the media what exactly the Democrat Party stands for. Tomorrow, you likely know the Mueller report with some slight redactions is going to be issued. And the, uh, by the way, a lot of Democrat leaders in Washington have been talking. I'm thinking they already saw it. At least some of them have already seen it or at least seen key portions because Democrats seem to be chomping at the bit to get that Mueller report out. They already know there's no evidence of collusion after $35 million and 18 lawyers digging everywhere they can, they were faced with the reality that the, the special prosecutor, Mueller, found no evidence at all of Trump-Russia collusion. But the report comes out tomorrow. Many Democrats are holding out hope that, in fact, the report will give them new energy, new life to their argument that even though Trump didn't collude with the Russians, and in fact, no one on his campaign colluded with the Russians, that he may have committed something that might tiptoe near the line of obstruction of justice. Allow me to remind you, no matter what you hear tomorrow, if the Trump team did not conspire, which is really what the crime would be, conspire with the Russians to do anything in the election, the obstruction, the Democrats might argue is there, is really just evidence of a a, a guy, Trump, getting pretty darn bothered by the fact that he has to uh, spend his first two years of his presidency answering false allegations, being pummeled by false allegations from the media, from the left, over and over and over and over and over. So, you know, I'm going to tell you there's no basis for obstruction charges based on the fact there's no underlying collusion, but that will not stop the Democrats from trying to do something with the Mueller report. But back to my point about the Democrats' identity and their struggle for a mission and an identity here in 2019. The Democrats on the House Intelligence and Financial Services Committee um, jointly subpoenaed Deutsche Bank, you know, an international banking firm, on Monday as part of their ongoing effort investigating President Trump. They asked Deutsche Bank for all sorts of records related to President Trump's finances for decades. They are digging and digging and digging, still hoping somehow Mueller might have missed something, somehow something in there will either evidence some kind of collusion or conspiracy with the Russians, or maybe something else they can dig up to bring about his uh, potential criminal charges, or at the very least, they hope, to bring out the um, possibility of impeachment. This has been the identity of America's Democrat Party 
since the moment Trump won the 2016 elections. They have had no identity, they have no mission, they have no purpose other than try to find a way to remove President Trump from office, or put in other words, try to thwart the will of the 63 million Americans who chose President Trump under our constitutional system of governance to be our president. This is the only mission the Democrat Party has pushed and pushed, and they still are. They have statements out about, you know, they expect cooperation, they want subpoenas. And of course, the Trump team is pushing back a little bit. In, in fact, uh, Donald Trump's one son, um, Eric, uh, running the family's business empire while his father's in the White House, basically said, this subpoena is an unprecedented abuse of power and simply, simply the latest attempt by House Democrats to attack the president. And here's the thing, folks. I think more and more Americans every day see this. More and more Americans are waiting to say, what is it, Democrats, you want to do to help our country? What is it you want to do policy-wise? What is it do you want you want to do to secure the border, to help with the business environment, to help with the change the tax structure, to change immigration law? What is it you want to do? Because all the Democrats have done pretty much since the moment Trump was elected is find some way to have him framed in the media as an illegitimate president. And I think it's really starting to wear thin on the American people. So the other problem the Democrat Party has, beside that their sole identity has been we, we hate Trump, is they had in the 2018 uh, midterm elections, numerous very far left radical people elected to Congress as Democrats. And now Nancy Pelosi, still queen of the Dems in Washington, is trying to deal with this. So she's got to deal with, for example, what the kind of things that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez puts out, you know, the whole... Um, you know, the Green New Deal, the we're socializing America, we're going to, you know, take away, and the Elizabeth Warren, you know, candidate for president uh, mission to actually push uh, for a um, net worth tax. I mean, she's got radicals in her party, and she's trying to uh, stand up there front and center and say, oh, no, no, we're not radical. I don't know why you're talking about that. So I want to start with Nancy Pelosi was interviewed in 60 Minutes. There was a great clip that she that from her. In fact, we have a couple clips from Nancy Pelosi here on 60 Minutes. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. Well, it's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than well, the five. Progressive, I'm a progressive. Yeah, I do reject socialism as a economic system. If people have that view, that's their view. That is not the view of the Democratic Party. She wishes that was not the view of the Democrat Party. Here is Nancy Pelosi's problem. If you look at what happened in the 2016 presidential elections, if you follow polling in this country, more and more Americans who get behind the Democrat Party are friendly to socialism. Look at the numbers that Bernie Sanders uh, gave, was able to produce in the 20. Um, in the you know, 2016 presidential election. We have a graph, I think Matt, my incredibly wonderful producer has this graph, um, but there, yeah, okay, look at this. In the 2016 presidential primary, Bernie Sanders got 13.2 million votes to Hillary 16.9. Now maybe his are only 43 and her is 55, but 43% of Democrat primary voters in 2016 went with Bernie. And on top of that, 
as we discovered later, much of the uh, energy that was behind the Hillary campaign was put in place by the Democrat Party itself, playing shenanigans behind the scenes, trying to give Hillary the advantage, trying to disadvantage the Bernie team. Since that time, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, outspoken, unabashed Democrat socialist, elected to Congress. Pelosi has her hands full trying to tell America, you know, the mainstream mom-and-pop America, we're not really socialists. Don't listen to them. That's not true. We're not socialists. And, and they are. I mean, the policies that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is putting forward most certainly are. And all, or nearly all, I think all, of the Democrat presidential contenders have either formally agreed they support Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's radically socialist Green New Deal, or at least they've made friendly statements about it. Well, yeah, you know, it's, I think it's got some good ideas in there. Have to look at it more closely. Nancy Pelosi is trying to tell mainstream America, oh, we're not really socialists, but her own party is undermining her. Her own party, her elected representatives in Congress are saying, no, actually, we are socialists. They are pushing those policies and Pelosi is struggling to try to maintain that the Democrats have some, uh, some other identity other than we hate Trump and we are socialists, that she is really, really struggling. This is a great opportunity for the Republicans uh, to get behind Trump early and before 2020 and to continue to put out there, to pressure Democrat candidates for any level of office. Are you a socialist? Do you reject socialism or not? Do you support the Green New Deal or not? Pelosi is struggling, well-deserved struggling. We have the, um, you know, we have the uh, polls, not just from the primary in 2016, but even since that time, polling showing that Bernie Sanders, again running in 2020 for the Democrat presidential uh, nomination, is avid, outspoken socialist. He is not backing off from socialism at all. And he, according to the most recent polling uh, taken in Iowa, you know, the first in the nation caucuses and primary in Iowa, we have Bernie Sanders barely below the top runner, who is Joe Biden, who hasn't even declared. So Biden, maybe there's some kind of sane people. Iowa is still kind of middle of the country, salt of the earth, you know, kind of people. They, the Democrats there would like to see a Biden and keep thinking maybe he's going to file, maybe he's actually going to run. And I think he probably will. But this, this battle Pelosi has on her hands of having talked up many ideas that are socialist, whether she wants that label or not, is getting her in trouble and is getting her in trouble and defying the Democrat Party to America. And much as the Democrats have done to Republicans, tried to define the Republican Party, the Democrats tried to define the Republican Party to America. We need to start doing that. We need to hang the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Bernie Sanders, the socialism around their necks and make them either denounce it or admit it. I don't think they can honestly deny it because that's where there so many of their policies trend. And that, my friends, is my first five today. Next up, I want to talk about a most interesting thing going on in, um, that went on in Washington. And honestly, I just felt, I, I'm excited about telling you about this. My friends, I try to, every day in the show, try to talk about, you know, have, basically can pick about three issues to do any depth on them at all. And it's three issues among literally dozens and dozens I could choose from every day. And I'm always, at the end of the day, my hope is that this show helps Americans feel inspired to love their country, 
recognize why their country is great, what our greatness came from, so we all work to hold on to it. Well, if there's one group in Washington, D.C., that is just a stellar group, their they're, um, experts have been on the show many times, it's called the Center for Security Policy, founded by Frank Gaffney. And they do all sorts of deep policy research. They get, they get just extremely consequential national security experts um, uh, pulled together and working with tr trying to come up with identifying threats to America, how we deal with them, how do we solve them. They have touched on just a, a wide range of issues facing America. The thing I want to talk about today, which is just the unbelievably coolest thing, and I just can't wait to talk with you about it, um, is they put together this group, Committee on the Present Danger. Committee on the Present Danger, colon, China. And let me tell you that I put um, on our website, americacanwetalk.org, if you go to uh, the homepage of americacanwetalk.org, underneath the show, you go down and there are links, uh, it says list of links, and you can read the things I'm going to talk to you about today. The short story is this. Just as when President Reagan, back in the 80s, late 70s and 80s, was coming to power, looking at Washington, you know, look at what's happening to our country, he became aware of the tremendous threat America faced with, uh, from as the source being the Soviet Union, communist, uh, the communists in the Soviet Union. He was willing as a candidate to step up and run on the idea that we not only can, but we must stop these people. We must be a leader in this world. We must recognize the magnitude, the scope, the danger of the threat posed by the communist Soviet Union. And we must engage in a variety of policies in this country, a variety of policies to fight back. His ideas, there was back at that time in the late 70s into the 80s when President Reagan was our president, there was at that time also a committee on the present danger talking about Russia talking about all the ways Russia was vying to become the singular world power. And I, I say Russia, that's the old name, the Soviet Union, the communist Soviet Union. The communists were pushing to become the one world power, the dominating power. And Ronald Reagan had the clarity, the foresight, the bravery, and the determination to identify the risk, to talk about it in his campaigns, to talk about it as president. He joined in with this group in Washington back in the late 70s, identifying the uh, reality that communist, the Soviets, the communists in, in Russia posed a truly, and the word gets overused these days, but an existential threat, meaning a threat to our very existence. And because he did that, because he was willing to speak up, he awakened the American conscience, that he awakened, rose up, Everyone's or many, many Americans had their awareness of the problem uh, increase because they listened to what Reagan said. They began reading themselves. They listened to what other experts said. And America became aware at that time that the uh, communist, the Soviets, the communists in Russia were not simply engaged in an alternative economic system. They have communism. We have freedom. But that, in fact, communism, as practiced by the, the Russians and the Soviets, was an aggressive policy. It was intended to be aggressive, and they did. They were aggressive, as you likely know. The Russians had pushed 
uh, west of Russia. They had taken over Eastern Europe. The Eastern Bloc countries became the term for the uh, idea that countries that were formerly free uh, and were not communists were taken over by communist Russia. Reagan was willing to identify the threat. He was also willing to say, we have to fight this on many levels. It's not just enough to gear up America to be ready in case someday the uh, communists actually attack us. He was ahead of his time, ahead of his, and he was willing to say, no, we have to get a hold of this situation now. And that's what he did. And we had the Cold War, which everyone you know is aware of now, but at the time that was a new term because we weren't fighting with bullets and bombs. We were fighting on a multitude of levels. Well, that was Russia. That was in an era when America was more alert to the reality that socialism and communism are, are evil, they are wrong, they are utterly contrary to the idea of freedom upon which America is based. America could get behind Reagan in part because we had a culture awake to the evils of socialism, awake to the evils of communism, because all communism is, is socialism with no way out. So now, what I want to turn to and really talk with that introduction, talk about what happened in Washington this past couple of weeks. Uh, there has been a new committee on present danger formed talking about China. Frank Gaffney, founder of Center of Security Policy, was part of this, put together a fabulous program, really, and, and they, they stated their goal in the beginning of this. They just had a big conference last week. stated the goal in the beginning was to help more Americans, the citizenry, as well as our government, become aware of the massive threat China is, not just because they steal our intellectual property, which they do, not just because they're communists and we are free, but because China has a goal of world domination. And so what this conference was, was bringing in experts to talk about what communist China is doing, how they are doing it, what, why it poses a threat to us. It was really a, a, just a massive and brilliant uh, wake-up call put together, program put together, and it wasn't just a one-day program. It's an ongoing mission to awaken America, to awaken the people in our federal government uh, to what is the, the threat of China is. I want to introduce one idea, which you may not, I don't know, have talked about on the show before, but just briefly tell you what it is. China launched in 2017 their Belt and Road Initiative. And in fact, I know I have talked about it on the show before, but in any case, it's really important to get this as just one little piece of the way in which China intends to become dominant in this world. The Belt and Road Initiative, there was a big program put on by the Chinese leader, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, 28 heads of state. This was May of 2017, so we're coming up on two years ago. The connection or the idea was it was in, an ambitious foreign policy launch, and it actually started in 2013, but the conference started it was in 2017, and they basically involves China underwriting billions of infrastructure dollars, billions of dollars to build infrastructure investment in countries along the old Silk Road, linking it with Europe. So China's expanding its role, its place. 68 countries went along with this, agreed to sign up for this. Oh yeah, we're gonna help China be more connected. We're gonna be engaged. They're gonna fund infrastructure building. And they have been spending about $150 billion, 150 billion, B as in boy, billion, a year doing this. 
this was largely seen. In fact, red flags were raised by conservatives at the time saying, this is not just to increase trade or to make better friends with their other with other countries. This is China flexing its muscles, beginning the whole uh, effort to become the most ambitious and then ultimately a claim to global leadership. That's what China was signaling by the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, it is ongoing. And so part of what you'll hear in the clips I'm about to play is people assuming that people kind of know these things, but this Belt and Road Initiative all by itself uh, was a, a danger signal. More recently, um, reported, uh, widely reported, including Foreign Policy magazine, was the point that China is buying up ports in Europe. You know, where ships come in or ships can be blocked from coming in or ships can take charge of, ships can, you know, fire weapons from ports all over Europe. And Foreign Policy magazine, you'll see the link in the, if you go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, homepage under shows, go down, list of links, here's the story. Why is China buying up Europe, Europe's ports? It's a really, really good question. China is buying up ports that present a, another flexing of the muscles of China, another signal to the world. We are going to become the single global dominating force in this world. And so now getting around to the, the meeting that was held in Washington, again, it was the Committee on the Present Danger of China. Uh, Ted Cruz spoke there, Newt Gingrich, Steve Bannon, um, uh, the head of it, this uh, particular this uh, Committee on Present Danger, um, with a guy named Brian Kennedy, brilliant remarks. Frank Gaffney made brilliant remarks. Again, you go to my website, you can, you'll find the links to the entire presentation. I want to play just a few clips just to have you aware of how serious this is and how this is something serious politicians and serious thinkers in this country are trying to raise America's awareness about. about. So let me start with my very wonderful friend, Matt, who has all of the clips for us. I want to start with the uh, clip we had um, from the COPD, the clear and present, that's COPD, but the clear and present danger uh, presentation. Um, and this was uh, remarks by Senator Ted Cruz, Senator from the great state of Texas. The greatest long-term geopolitical risk the United States faces. They are the greatest risk militarily, they are the greatest risk, risk economically, and they are the greatest risk in expanding their world influence and seeking to constrain our own. So how should we deal with that risk? I guess we lost him there. Okay. Well, anyway, that was Ted Cruz. Um, he was among the speakers there. And, you know, I, I'm just thrilled to see that the Senator from Texas is getting on the, is weighing in early, is getting on the news, getting into this, this idea of telling against we have a serious, serious problem with respect to China. China's on the way on the mission of, uh, becoming the, the singular world dominating power. One of the earlier things that was said in this, and again, this is a two and a half hour um, program, so obviously I couldn't get it all out uh, in this short show, but um, one of the things they were talking about early on is that China is not just expanding their presence, not just the Belt and Road, not just buying ports, um, but their economic influence, their theft of America's intellectual property, their trade deals. In, in many ways, America's trade deals over the years have funded 
China's very dangerous expansion. And so it was a uh, it was a broad based presentation at this program, basically saying there are many, many ways in which China is exerting its and it is telling the world is not not just signaling, but telling the world we are going. We have a mission of world domination and America to be alert to it needs to recognize it now. Next, I want to go to clips uh, from that same conference uh, by Newt Gingrich, who did a great job speaking there, too. I have two clips from him. Here's the first one. Uh, the Xi Jinping is the chairman of the military commission, the secretary general of the Communist Party, and the president of the People's Republic of China. And if you remember that it's in that order, the military commission gives him control of the People's Liberation Army, which is explicitly a wing of the party, not the government. Uh, the role of secretary general gives him 89 million members. By contrast, uh, Trump got 63 million votes. So he has, he has a cadre across the whole country of 89 million people. And the number one duty of the Chinese system is the preservation of the party. And anybody who doesn't understand that completely misunderstands what's going on. Um, and third, as long as you remember that he has the military and the party, he's also the president of the country. Now, all of our Western media and our diplomats tend to think of him as president, which puts him in the context of a Western traditional system, which he's not. Uh, so that, that's just my first observation. Fabulous thing by Newt Gingrich, because he's talking about, and he and another point he made, a portion I couldn't put on, but He's talking about the idea Americans don't have the sense of what governance and, and society and government is like in China. In fact, earlier in the program, someone made the point that, you know, a lot of people thought in America, well, after we had the uh, Cold War, after the, uh, the Soviet communist effort to rule the world was shut down by President Reagan, by expanding our military, by all sorts of means he used, People have the sense that in this global environment that we all are so proud of, we live in a time of globalism, there really could not be the rise to power of one individual or country to the kind of tyranny that the Soviet communists sought. That because the Soviet Union's communist expansion effort were shut down, that really no one else could do that. You know, we kind of showed the world America's dominant, freedom is dominant, there can't be a, there can't be, this wouldn't happen again. It's like it doesn't cross our radar. It doesn't occur to us that actually what Soviet communists tried to do in the 70s and 80s that China is trying to do now. People keep thinking because China has a little bit of freedom, a little bit of lack of complete communist control, that they're on the path toward freedom. What this conference made really clear, among many other things, is the communists in China are not on the path toward loosening society toward freedom, toward free markets. They are laser focused on world domination and they're laser focused on using many, many vehicles to get there, um, including all the ones you're going to hear about in just a moment. But I want to now play the second clip by Newt Gingrich uh, on this whole threat of China. But recently, Xi Jinping came to Italy and signed a contract to run Genoa, which is the largest port in Italy and a contract to run Trieste, which is the port 
which opens up the space to go to Austria and southern Germany. Now, in the Cold War, if the Soviets had opened up two ports in Italy, we would all have understood this was catastrophic. Now you can't even get it covered because we have some guy in Chicago who pays people to beat him up so he can claim that it's an anti-Trump event. <clears throat> and I, we have, in the, in the article I did tomorrow, the, the number of minutes the news media devoted to this insanity was unbelievable. But it, it fits the infantile nature of the current news media. Is that ever a true story? The infantile nature of the current news media. I'm going to get back around before I close out this segment to the topic of the first segment, which is the Democrat Party looking for their identity. But there are several more points I want to make about this conference in Washington. One, these are serious, serious students of international relations, students of the international scene, students of communism. They had speakers there who were, on who, who, who were experts on China, speakers on experts on, on behalf of Taiwan. Speakers talking about the American economy, the impact on the American economy with the American left just humoring China and, and then China's uh, continuing theft of intellectual property. The trade deals we make that have fed China, that have literally funded China's expansion. This was a very, very serious substantive conference. I am grateful beyond words for organizations like the Center for Security Policy, um, as well as the group that put together this, the Committee on the Present Danger. China, I urge you to listen to the whole long two and a half hour tape. And the thing is, folks, what Newt Gingrich was saying, that last point is really important. We spend so much time in this country on stories like, you know, what day somebody leaks something and whether, you know, whether someone leaks something they shouldn't have and, and how many, whether Jesse Smollett should be prosecuted for his racial attack hoax, his, his, which was really an attack on Trump hoax. We spend so much time on that. In the meantime, it is like being like Neville Chamberlain in England should have been his job to watching what was happening with Nazi Germany, should have been his job watching what was Hitler. Instead, he was so content to pretend there couldn't be any real threat. Germany couldn't do this. Don't worry about that. This Neville Chamberlain attitude is, was dangerous to the world then it delayed the world's getting engaged and active and fighting back against Nazi Germany. It extended the war. It extended the number of casualties on both sides because we weren't willing to see it as a threat. Neville Chamberlain wasn't. Well, what these gentlemen were talking about, this conference, and again, it was just a great conference. You really ought to listen to the tape of it. But they're getting at the idea, let's, we have to recognize now that communist China is very much like the Soviet communists were, they actually think they could have world domination and they are already doing it. It isn't like in the, you know, some secret area of the communist China, a small cadre of the party leaders are discussing, do you think we could possibly have world domination by communist China? They're already down the path. They're already moving forward. They're buying or renting or running ports in Europe. They are in control of the, the whole the 68 countries that signed on to the Belt and Road Initiative. This is a country on a mission. I am impossibly grateful for groups like the Center for Security Policy. And also, and I don't think I was able to get this clip in, but numerous of the people speaking at this conference 
were praising the Trump administration for being wide awake, for recognizing the danger. They were praising the Trump administration that was not just playing along with the, oh, communist China, come on, we're all pals, we're trade partners. President Trump is redoing trade deals, yes, but that he is alert to, recognizes the danger of that what communist China is presenting to the world. And that was one of the clips I wish I had played for you because it is a great contrast with the way the American left functions in this country. Now looping back to what we talked about in the first segment. The Democrat Party, the second most popular in polls, in fact, an Iowa poll so showed Biden was the first uh, preference among Democrat uh, people likely to vote in the primaries in Iowa, or the caucuses in Iowa. Biden was first, and then uh, Bernie Sanders was second. A later poll showed Bernie Sanders had jumped into first place. This is the consequence of the irresponsible people in our country, media, college professors, academia, politicians, who try to pretend that there is nothing wrong with socialism, who try to pretend that socialism is just morally equivalent or in any way acceptable to a country based on freedom. That socialism is a moral equivalent of freedom, of capitalism, of free markets, of free enterprise. We are in a time in this country in 2019 when millions of young Americans, millennials, think that socialism is a way to make things fairer. It's about sharing. It's about being nice. You have a Democrat socialist candidate in Bernie Sanders, and you have the most popular girl in Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, pushing socialism on a society not as rooted in, not as prepared for the threat of communism, the threat of socialism, as America was back in the 1980s. We still had, and Reagan was trying to raise the alarm bell about the Soviet communists, we had an America that knew we loved freedom. We had an America that largely knew we love freedom, we want free markets, we, want, we do not want socialism, we don't want communism. It was easier for Reagan to convince America about the dangers posed by the Soviet communists because the American people were better informed. We knew back then, more of us knew how wrong and evil socialism is. But here in 2019, we have China, the massive threat, the effort to have world domination. We have the millennials in this country, many of them, asleep at the wheel, thinking socialism is about being nice making no connection between the kissing cousins of socialism and communism, young millennials duped by the idiocy of Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, thinking that they are bringing America to the next level, they're gonna lift America up to socialism. This is where we are. This is why these elections in 2020 are so serious. This is why the petulant, childish attacks on President Trump by the Democrats and even by some of the Republicans are so bad. Trump is trying to stand up for the idea of an America rooted in freedom. The American left can is struggling with an identity crisis, recognizing their most popular presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, is rooted in the same ideas that brought China and Russia from socialism into communism and to absolute tyrannical control. 
And the reason, by the way, socialism always leads to tyranny is because most people are not that agreeable to surrender their hard-earned money to the government for the government's purpose of redistributing it. Most people are not willing to surrender their hard-earned wealth, their net worth, to the government as Elizabeth Warren, another Democrat presidential candidate, is advocating. People don't like the idea of a country, people in a country, being able to vote to give the government power to take somebody else's money away and give it to them. And so socialism leads to tyranny because most people do not want the policies socialism ultimately requires. Most people do not want socialized medicine once they figure out how bad it is. They just can't get back out of it. So we're at a crucial time. The Democrats are having their identity crisis problem. Um, I actually think it's a key time for Republicans to point this out. The Democrats, except for Pelosi, who's trying to say we're not socialists, their voters are. A, a, a wide swath of Democrat voters are. And many policies the Democrats claim to support, such as single payer, which is socialized medicine, they are socialist policies. And then you have a communist China on the march, on the go, trying to become the single world dominating power in this world. And you have the Democrats in Washington. The main thing they can talk and think about is could they possibly dig far enough to in, into President Trump's financial records to find something to possibly impeach him over. You have a party on the Democrat side hung up on identity politics, hung up on, on the idiotic ar arguments about socialism, hung up on destroying Trump, completely unserious. The Democrat party of today is completely unserious. They're not dealing with the real challenges America faces. They are asleep at the wheel and the voters need to tell them that in 2010. And that, my friends, my comments about that conference. Can't wait to have you be able to listen to that conference. And now turning to the last topic of the day, a very quick topic. I want to tell you, um, and this is uh, entirely changing the topic, but Every year as we get around to commencement season, you know, college commencement uh, addresses, uh, colleges ask someone to become a speaker at their commencement. Uh, every year we have a few uh, examples and a growing number of examples of people who are uh, invited to be speakers and the college campuses, the students protest. This year, I want to just start this year early uh, with, with this particular one. There is a Christian university called Taylor University. It is uh, rooted in Christianity. It, it touts itself as a Christian university. They had the amazing blessing of having Vice President Mike Pence agree to be their commencement speaker. Vice President, the, the second most powerful man in the world, the Vice President of the United States agreed to speak at a relatively small, in my, my view, unknown, I hadn't even heard of it before, uh, Christian college. And, you know, he, uh, Vice President Pence, well known for his strongly held Christian values, his, his faith in Christianity, his wife works at a school that's rooted in Christianity. And you would think that the school had invited, you know, Attila the Hun or the head of the white supremacist movement. These kids these mental midget students at Parker had a, had a major out, 
outburst, a major explosion. They had they have a protest, uh, a pre- they had a petition signed now by 2,093, 2,393 students and former students, you know, alumni, protesting that President, Vice President Pence should be able to give the uh, commencement address. And in particular, what they were, it's an evangelical Christian school, but their quotes were things like this. <sighs> Inviting Vice President Pence to Taylor University and giving him a coveted platform for his political views makes our alumni, faculty, staff, and current students complicit in the Trump-Pence administration's policies, which we believe are not consistent with the Christian ethic of love we hold dear. These students have not even contemplated the notion that loving Christians, earnest Christians, could have different viewpoints on, for example, marriage, on the value of life, the meaning of valuing life. These students are, they are just simply the mesmerized, brainwashed sycophants who've listened to the American left and characterized a man of Vice President Pence's stature, faith, and integrity as someone whose presence on their campus will destroy, will hurt, will harm. One student wrote a long Facebook plea essentially saying she was shaking with outrage at the idea that Vice President Pence should be able to give the commencement speech um, at their school. She says, Vice President Pence is no friend of mine. This is actually a current student. He doesn't support me, whatever the heck that means. He does not support equality. This person went on. This is Claire Hadley. He doesn't uphold the values that are at the very core of the church my own faith, and I would hope of this university, he is rooted in hate. Folks, again, the consequence of the radical, accusatory, relentless, obnoxious, mainstream media, American leftist, Democrat media mob mindset that has been telling America that you either support marriage being any two people or more than two people who want to get married, or you're a hater. This is the way the Democrat media mob has presented the issue to America. And these students, as they say, brainwashed sycophants of the American media, not a clue what they're talking about, not a clue about what President, Vice President Pence would even say at this speech, but this is his school. Now, fortunately, the school has said, you know what, we invited him and he's coming and he's going to be our speaker. But the vitriol spewing from these students, you would think, as I say, you would think that they have had invited Attila the Hun or some, you know, person who was a, uh, just a, you know, leader of the white supremacist movement, and they've invited the noble vice president of the United States of America. Again, letting the lies of the left go. Letting the lies of the left be planted in mainstream media be spread around by the media, be repeated by the American left, has had its consequences, has harmed American culture and society. So even at an evangelical Christian school, you have over 2,000 people hysterical about Vice President Pence speaking at their commencement. Be the honor of a lifetime for that school to hear him, for them to get to meet him. Students would love, I would think a lot of them, to get their, their pictures with him. 
But the other thing that happens at schools like this and instances like this is the same students, the people who actually understand that Vice President Pence is a, is a patriot and he is there to speak on behalf uh, as a Vice President of the United States, they are silenced. Because the left is so belligerent, so aggressive, so intolerant, the left is intolerant of anyone who won't agree with them that many students, faculty, alumni, administrators, who might think it's the greatest thing they ever heard in their lives that they get to have Pence come and speak, they're silenced because they don't want to be the next one accused by the radical left. And folks, this is one of the messages of my show, messages of my speech, of all my speeches I do, is you have to speak up in this country. You have to speak up about the issues facing this country, all of them. The American left tries to carve out, and I shouldn't even call them the American left, the radical anti-American left in this country carves out positions on every issue facing this country and is so vicious, so vitriolic, so intolerant of anyone not agreeing with them that way too many Americans say, you know what, I'm not going to be the one to speak up. I don't want to be the one who's going to be name called by the American left, so I'll just be silent. I hope that this university hangs in there, keeps President, Vice President Pence as their speaker, and just moves forward. But it's very hard, folks, it's very hard for uh, the administration to put up with uh, taunts of racist and hater and all the other things that they throw in. So that is my, at least for this first time, this first story of this uh, commencement season of the, uh, the unfortunate annual event we have of college students thinking they have the right to protest anyone who might possibly say anything that they don't agree with. And finally, on today's show, I, my favorite part of the show I want to turn to is why it matters to you. I mentioned at the start, I, I pick stories for the show because I, I, they're all, the show is just rooted, grounded in, and just, in, just inspired by love of America, the recognition that there are many ways in which our precious country could be harmed, could be really hurt, by radical thoughts that are just radical ideas that are invading this country. Leave alone, leave alone China, which is a huge problem. Our failure to know socialism is a problem, is our problem with China. But anyway, on to, I want to talk about the why it matters to you. The Democrat Party's battle for mission and identity, why it matters to you. Do you realize it was only 30 years ago that the Berlin Wall fell? At that time, you know, 1991, everybody, excuse me, in 1989, Everybody knew, everybody knew that socialism was inconsistent with America. Socialism was inconsistent with freedom. Socialism was inconsistent with free markets, free enterprise, with living in a free country. We're only 30 years past, and one of the two major parties in this country supports socialism. Regardless of Nancy Pelosi's protestations, her party's policies are socialist. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Sanders, hugely popular. This is why it matters to you to speak out against socialism at every creeping little step along the way, because socialism, as it always does, breeds tyranny, resentment, and ultimately division. It tears apart the fabric of a country. It is incumbent on Americans to get clear about this and speak up about it. Next point on why all this matters to you. The response to China's world domination project. And that's what it is, folks. Nothing less. It is China's world domination project. Exposed, fortunately, 
in Washington, in America, for us to wake up to and see, but a country to sleep to the idea that there are still tyrants in this world who would still seek world domination, um, a country to sleep to the idea that those kind of people exist is vulnerable. Ask Neville Chamberlain, who, of course, was a British leader who thought he had accomplished peace in our times because he met with Hitler, who said, oh, don't worry, I, I, my mama's done. I'm not going to do anything bad here. Neville Chamberlain came back promising England and the world, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. It took the insights of Churchill at that time and later when he became the leader to say, no, actually, you have to fight. We have to fight China's world domination um, efforts. And actually, as it related, um, and, and unserious politicians in this country, including most of the leaders of the Democrat Party, those unserious politicians put America at rest. One last point on the China's domination thing. The Democrat Party is obsessed with identity politics, sexual orientation, pushing socialism, growing government, growing government's control over society. They are dangerous to this country because they do not deal with the geopolitical realities of this world. They're, the Democrat Party is an unserious player in Washington at this time as they spend most of their media time, most of their speeches, most of their efforts at pushing big government, pushing socialism, pushing growth of big government, ignoring the serious problems the world faces. Last point on why it matters to you, Christian colleges against Christianity. Just stop and think about this. This is an evangelical Christian school, Taylor University. We have too few Americans who know that our prosperity, our safety, our strength, our stability is directly tied to our Judeo-Christian heritage and roots. They are outraged over a Christian vice president who holds to his values coming to speak at their university. They have no idea because they haven't been taught that it is Judeo-Christian roots that created America's greatness. And I ask, if these students don't know that, who does? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you tomorrow. America, can we talk? Truth about America.